Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash recommend today. Back in on the Gabe Coon Show, 92.9 FM ESPN. And joining me now as is customary on a Tuesday, that'll be Christian Fowler at C. Fowler BCM on X. He's senior writer and content creator for Bluff City Media. And we have a podcast. It's called the On the Bluff Pod. Find it on Apple, Spotify, full-length video version on YouTube. Christian, what's the word, brother? How are you? I'm doing wonderful, Gabe. How are you? I am. I'm hanging in there, man. I'm hanging in there. I'm just going through some of these that's, penny that's, quotes and and trying to trying to break them down rationally. It's kind of hard. It's I wish tough. Your, I wish your Tuesday was going better. Doesn't, yeah, doesn't yeah. Sound great. It feels like you know. I mean, the truth of the matter is between yesterday and today. So yesterday was the aftermath of 106 to 79 and all-star break being terrible. And then today we have Penny's quotes from his radio show. It's just been a lot of negativity, man. I mean, we need to, we need to, we need to try to change the, change the narrative here, but that's not what we're going to do in this, in this, in this, uh, in this segment. I'll tell you that right now. Well, well, dang, I was about to say that I want to see you as a radio host, flip this around and make this a positive segment, but it sounds like it's not going I, I mean, I don't, I don't know how we do it right this second. I really don't. Well, I, just, I mean, if we're talking Memphis basketball, we're not going to, but I just didn't know if you had another avenue to make it positive, to steer positivity into, but it sounds like I mean, going to be pretty negative I this could, whole time. I could technically bring up, because I'm about to talk about it here in the Blitz, uh, your, your, your boy Dak Prescott, you're a big Cowboys fan. Jordan Schultz yeah. from uh, Bleacher Report is reporting that uh, he could reset the quarterback market with his new, uh, with his new extension, $60 million per. I don't know yeah, if that's positive all- for you, though. I mean, when you look at it, all the balls are in his court right now. It took a long time to do the extension last time. I think he's owed $59 million this year yep. because the way that the Cowboys do their contract and most teams do now, backload them, keep pushing it off to create cap room in every offseason. So, I mean, he's owed that anyway. So, basically, you pay him $60 million a year, you pretty much probably in year one pay him thirty-five, forty. Like that's You're going to push off that cap hit go. until the final year of the contract, and it'll be a massive exactly. cap hit. Huge. Exactly. But, I mean, that, that's where the quarterback market's going. I mean, Patrick Mahomes signed a $50 million deal two years ago. Yeah. And you've got Lamar. Was it Lamar and Justin Herbert both around the 50, 52 and a half? 52. Yeah, about the 52 mark. So, it's the direction it's going in. It's going to happen eventually. I think we were freaking out when Dak signed a, what was it, 35 or $40 million deal. Mm-hmm. I think he was the second highest paid when he signed his last contract, and now we're talking about $52 million deals. So quarterback contracts really at the end of the day, they're going to change very rapidly in the market that we're in, the way that the cap changes. 
So even like Patrick Mahomes signing a $50 million deal two years ago, that's not going to sound that crazy in two or three years. Right, well... It really doesn't sound that crazy now because he's not the highest-paid quarterback in the league, and he should be. But I know Cowboys fans have the, have a strange relationship with that, getting that type of money, right? Like They, that's, they do, they do. But here's I'll ask you this question. What What's better? I, I don't think there's... A, you can't just bank on, oh, I'm going to go draft a quarterback and develop him. You can't bank on the fact that you're going to get a cheaper free agent that gives you the same thing. So, no, I, you have to... I, I have been here at this point. He was an all-pro this year. You have to pay him his money. It's just what yeah. it's what's coming. Yeah, for sure. Because, I mean, you're at 24 right now in the draft. You're not going to find a franchise quarterback there, more than likely. What, are you going to trade up? And they wouldn't be able to trade up into the top five to get uh, Jaden Daniels, Drake May, or Caleb Williams unless they literally risk the next three to five years. And then what are you going to do? Trade up into the 12 to 15 and <laughs> right. take like a J.J. McCarthy or a Bo Nix and you're going to bank on that? No. I, I mean, th- those just aren't great options. What's your other option? Okay, the Broncos cut Russell Wilson. You really would rather have that? No. no. Um, Baker Mayfield, you want to go throw $30 million at him? No. So, I, I mean, I get it. I get some of the frustration surrounding it, but you're not going to find anything better. There's not a better option. I mean, he's unquestionably a top 10 quarterback in the league. You can be critical of him for his playoff success, but in the regular season, outside of the 2022 season, he's been a top 10 quarterback pretty much every year of his career. Will he ever take it over the top? I don't know. I doubt it at this point. He's about to be 31 years old. He's had really good teams around him, but do you blow it all up with how much talent's around them? No, you have to just kind of play it out and hope something falls like it did last year. And instead of completely flopping against the Packers, uh, you actually do something with a very easy road to at least the NFC Championship game. So I yeah. get it. I understand the frustration. He's what one, two, one playoff game. It's like one and three or one and four. It's not <laughs> great. It's not great at all. Maybe to maybe two playoff games. Maybe I'm not giving him enough. Yeah, yeah. Seattle, yeah, Seattle I think he's got and Tampa two. Bay. Yeah, Seattle and good. Tampa Bay. So he's two and four, or two and five in the playoffs. It's not great, but hey, only one quarterback wins it every year anyway. Yeah, I do get a kick though out of like the conversations about quarterbacks these days. It's like, do you really think he's worth sixty million dollars per year? That's not the conversation. You are what uh, the the market demands, and at the quarterback position, it demands that type of money now. If you are if you are yeah. top ten in the in the NFL. If you have proven that you can uh, that you can play at a high level um, during the regular season, it just generally works out that way, right? So yeah, kind of has, has to. I think people need to morph the the conversation into uh, you know uh, understanding what the quarterback position does entail and what it what it demands as far as monetary, um, you know, the amount of mo- money is that's going to be thrown their way. So right. it is what it is. It is what it is. I, I, hey, I think Justin it's fine. Her- Justin Herbert's Justin Herbert's getting paid fifty three million. He ain't ever won nothing. Yeah, he won. He didn't want a playoff game. Lamar's getting paid yeah. massively, and he struggles in the playoffs. I like right. actively struggles so, in the playoffs. So we know the Cowboys are under a bigger microscope, and Dak's going to be under a bigger microscope. But that's just the way it is. So I thought, honestly, the only quarterback that's really worth that much money is Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> and he and who honestly, else is, who else I wonder how that? long until they actually have to restructure that contract and give him more money per year, or if he's if he's ever going to demand that because he's winning so much. But he's honestly that 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 contract, and we knew it at that time. I think me and you had this conversation at that time. Is was a deal. It, it was it was always a really good deal because it was over yeah. ten years. 
If you can, if right. you can, if you can get that length of an extension, you are winning as a as a GM. Brett Veach is a is hey, a goat an, though. He's but, Brett Veach as a GM of the, the Chiefs has done an unreal job. Right, and and you taking it back to Dak Prescott, like yeah, the, the Cowboys brass had to fight with him over a four or five year deal. Right, that was what took so long to get it worked out. Was they could he wanted a four year deal, they wanted a five year deal. They ultimately settled on the four year deal because he didn't want a fifth year. And then you look at Patrick Mahomes, won three Super Bowls now. He signed a 10-year deal um, because, one, he wanted to be with that franchise. He knew he could win there. And it just – I don't know. There's differing opinions and different diff- differing ways that things shake out. But, yes, you're absolutely right. A 10-year deal for a quarterback is absurd. We haven't seen that since, what, the 90s? Yep. I, I think Just going off of memory, I think there yep. were uh, – Drew Bledsoe got that with the Patriots. We know that that didn't really – Work out how no, it should. It was ten out. years, hundred million, or whatever it was. Right, and that Early was the 2000s. biggest quarterback contract ever at that time, and that was what two thousand ninety nine yeah. or two thousand something like that. Yeah. So it, it doesn't happen, and eventually they could restructure it, or you could say, "Look, we're winning every year. I'm still making fifty million dollars a year. <laughs> I'm set for life. I've got ridiculous sponsorships and brand deals. I'm good. I just want to keep winning Super Bowls. Yeah. I don't know if you." I don't. I know we're going on a tangent here, but I don't know if you saw the uh, the mic'd up stuff from the Super Bowl. But they're literally on the podium celebrating back to back Super Bowls, and all he can keep saying to Chris Jones and Travis Kelsey is, "I want that third one in a row. Yeah, I wanted. I want the three. And that's just to me, that's insane. Yes, it, it absolutely is. Well, I didn't expect to go there for this long, but let's get into the Tigers now. Uh, <laughs> right, but, but I'm just going to leave this open ended. This past week in Tiger basketball history is what like what do you think what do you think about these past two games north texas on the road smu on the road combined uh losing by 37 27 was the final uh the final deficit that they had against smu in a must-win game uh what, what what do you think about this past week in one word the only one that i keeps coming to my head, and I, you, you know what I'm about to say because I said it last night on the podcast, and that's embarrassing. Mm-hmm. That's that's the one word I keep coming back to because we talked. We sat here seven days ago on the show, and you asked me and we discussed the importance of those two games coming up. We know the negative stretch they had been on. They won three consecutive. There was still some hope on you know potentially getting an at-large bid. They had these two games coming up against North Texas and SMU, two quality teams, but teams that we felt like they were better than on paper. And that's totally bold, underlined, highlighted right now is on paper. Uh, but they weren't favored in either one of those games. They were they were underdogs in both of those games, and they just fell flat. Like in a, in a in a situation where they knew. That they pretty much had the, they had to control the rest of this season to make any noise. Maybe you could have lost the game to FAU the rest of the way. Maybe that would have been a scenario that could have worked out in your favor. But like the back, their backs were completely against the wall, and they embarrassed themselves yep. completely. Like they looked out of sync. Nobody looked good. Uh, I, I know you can point to the points that David Jones poured in, but. Does that really mean anything at this point? No, not at all. They go on the road, they drop by 10, and that's they, they didn't play well in that game, and you wonder how they're going to follow that up. Morale has to be low after that, and they 
they just laid an absolute turd against SMU. Like, it was terrible. They didn't look like they wanted to be there. It didn't look like they cared. It was never really competitive. David Jones had 33 of the 79 points, and they just didn't look good. Overall, it was bad. It was ugly. And it's kind of a summation of this season, at least this second half of the season as a whole, was was that game against SMU. No. That pretty much sums up the last, whatever, nine to ten games. Now, we had an interesting conversation on the podcast last night, and it's going to rub people the wrong way, but I think it's an interesting one to have. When Penny got hired here, obviously you had to get rid of Tubby Smith because you were bleeding money because no one was buying into the program, and and Tubby never seemed to endear himself to the city in the slightest. We knew when Penny got in here, he's going to endear himself to the city. He's already an absolute legend in this city. He knows the University of Memphis. He knows Memphis as a city. We figured, okay, he can recruit. Um, he can build a program here. But what I'm seeing right now is this is two years in a row with completely different rosters going into next year. Uh, unless he keeps a guy like David Jones, it feels like it'll be a completely brand new roster. Um, I, I just want to ask this question because we talked about him building this program up in you know the name of Memphis. How do you feel about Penny the program builder? How do you feel about him as a program builder at this current juncture? Okay, I'm going to try to make this as clear and concise as possible because this can be kind of a convoluted argument. And fortunately for the listeners, we kind of worked this out a little bit on the podcast last night and kind of were able to work through our thoughts on it. So Penny, as a program builder, there's a couple of different avenues you can approach on this. Has he built the program up from where it was under Tubby Smith? Yes. That is a yes. That is a resounding yes. Has he had overall, let's just go fully zoomed out view, has he been a successful coach at the University of Memphis? Yes, yes. He's, been, he's been successful. He's got a solid winning percentage. He's won an NIT championship. He's had two NCAA tournament appearances with one win in the NCAA tournament. So overall, successful? To an extent, yes. Has he been over the top successful? No, but let's let's not fully... Before I get into the second half of the argument, I don't want to fully make this negative because I do want to look at this in a whole and not try to look at the last 10 to 12 games in a vacuum. So he has been successful, and he has certainly built this program from where it was under Tubby Smith. He's brought in a lot of talent that Tubby had no chance of getting. He's won games that Tubby had no chance of winning. He's won a conference championship that Tubby had no chance of winning. So he's done a lot of things in building the program. But I think your, or I know your definition and what we're talking about with program builder is building sustained success yes. and not only in a vacuum, not for a singular season where you can pull out, you know, the 2021 season or you pull out the 2022 season and you look at the second half of it or the first half of it or the tournament run, uh, the AAC tournament run and say this was successful. It's it's looking at the six years, five and a half years, overall, fully zoomed out and say, has he built this program up towards future success? And to that, you just objectively can't say yes, because you look at the way that he started his tenure, a lack of talent. We knew it was going to take time. It looked like it was heading in the right direction. And then in 2022, he kind of, not kind of, he completely changed the way that he built the program early in his career, early in his tenure. It was bringing in high school talent and 
you know, letting those guys come up the ranks. Now, obviously, they lost some guys in and out, and that's just the way that it's going to be. But he kept a decent nucleus for the majority of that time, and it, it changed from, you know, two years, two years, two years when you had guys leaving and going to the NBA and going to other programs. But you saw the you saw the consistency, I guess, within the locker room. And then going into last year, he kind of flipped his strategy. He still had holdovers, but he brought in you know, transfers, brought in Kendrick Davis and Keontae Kennedy and Elijah McCadden, Demario Franklin, some of these guys, and you started to see a philosophy change. And then I recall being in the uh, the postgame presser after the F- FAU loss in the tournament last year and him saying this was the way that he wanted to do it now. Yep. He wanted to have a mix of young guys and veteran guys that were brought in from other programs. So this year, you only bring two players back, Jaden Hardaway and Malcolm Dandridge, and you go completely retool the roster. And we've seen the negativity from that. We have not seen an, a step up that we expected in this year after last year and, and really – even though they lost FAU, there was not a bad taste left in people's mouth. When you looked at a whole of, this team wasn't supposed to be good. They were very successful. And so it's okay. The st- we see the stepping stones now. Penny going clo- getting closer and closer to success. And then we see the beginning of this year, top 10 team in the country, a ton of veteran guys with experience. Okay, this is the team that if anyone's going to do it, they're going to do it. But the reason I don't believe that's happened, and I know you agree with me on this as well, is because there's not been a culture established or an identity within this team, an yeah. identity within this team. There's not enough continuity, and that is what your definition of program builder is. Someone that when they bring players in, it's understood this is the way that we operate here, and there won't be deviation from that. We can put you in different spots to succeed based on your skill set, but as far as you know, the things that we believe. Uh, the connection to the city, all these things, culture, those things are non-negotiables. If you're not going to buy into these things, then you cannot come play basketball here. I don't care how talented you are. If you don't fit our culture, our identity, uh, the city and what we believe with this basketball program, you cannot come here because that's established. And I just think we're really seeing that there's not an establishment of that. Yep. And I think that takes continuity from a 100%. locker room perspective. From a roster perspective, from a coaching, coaching staff. staff perspective, yeah, and those are just things that I, I don't know. If you would ask me last year if there was a culture, I would have said yes. You asked me this year, no, and you can see it because there's just no there's no cohesion with this team at all. And I think a lot of that starts with what happened, you know, in the off season. Like yep. things don't seem like they were properly built. So I know that's a very very long-winded answer i just wanted to be kind but of i think you laid it out I, you laid it out perfectly I, there's two things for me christian it's identity and it's program cornerstones identity the previous to this year has been defensive identity um you know how how are you going to uh, absolutely bother people on the defensive end they can't do that this year they cannot do that and obviously no. i don't think penny's made any meaningful adjustments along the way with a lot of offensive players and guys that really don't give a whole lot of effort on the defensive end um, and these are the guys that he brought in. So I think that ultimately falls to him. And then when I talk about program cornerstones, it's what you mentioned. It's it's coaching staff. Who's going to stay? It's players. I, I think for a while you had Alex Lomax hiding a lot. I, as much as we sort of hammered him in the moment for not being the scoring guard and turning the ball over and not necessarily being the perfect point guard, he was a guy who clearly was an emotional leader for this team. I look to the future. 
This is my thing. I look to the future and I don't see anything clearly visible that will sort of present itself as a program cornerstone or a guy or a coach. And obviously Penny has, you know, has, has worked on the fly and made things happen in the moment. Um, but at the same time, it's just, it's hard for me to project or, or understand where this program's going to head after this particular season. Tell me what you think about this, but this is my opinion. You cannot tell me that there is a non-zero percent chance that this won't be an entirely, entirely from top to bottom, different roster next year. Hundred percent. I don't think there's a player that you could tell me that they are hundred percent going to be back next year. This could be a completely Ashton Hardaway, maybe. team. Maybe <laughs> yeah. that's the only, that's probably the only one I would give you is Ashton Hardaway, and that's just because Penny is his dad. But it could be realistically. A new roster from top, and that's what you're t- talking about. You know, program cornerstones. Yeah, guys that know guys that know everything. They know the system. They know the way that Penny wants things done. They know the way that the city's expectations are. And those guys, even if they're not big contributors on the court, they get everyone else in line when they get on campus to know. Okay, this is how we need to fall in the line. This is how we need to go. This is what our expectations need to be in practice when we're out, you know, in public, when we're on the floor, like they set everything in motion and there's just not really, there's just not really any of that. And there could be even less of that next year. Yeah. And I, I just look at me talking this off season about all the talent he brought in and I'm as guilty as anybody else. I, I underrated continuity, man. I really did. And I think you were there sort of in that same boat because you oh, saw yeah. the amount of 100%. talent. But the truth of the matter is I saw a, a, a sort of tweet out there or a stat out there about, you know, teams or, or programs that brought in seven or more transfers. Um, and at this point, it's Arkansas, NC State, Arizona State, Memphis, UCF, West Virginia, Penn State, and St. John's. None of those are, are going to make the tournament unless they go through and win a conference title through yeah, a, a see, conference attorney. You, you see Rick Patino's comments? Yes, I saw Rick Patino's comments. By the way, is that hilarious today? He he it is. he did he, he didn't take a step back, but he's like I didn't try to go after anybody. Well, you literally went after guys you, by name. What are you talking about? Yeah. Right. But it's I mean, uh, even though Penny hasn't said as went as deep on that as Rick Patino, you can't tell me the situation doesn't sound similar. I mean, Rick Patino basically said that this is the most unenjoyable time he's had in his entire life as a coach. <laughs> Right, and I think Which, Penny Hardaway is. I think Penny Hardaway is echoing, echoing those uh, sentiments without saying that exactly right. directly. Right, he hasn't come out and said exactly that, but it, it feels very similar. And I think it just goes to show that maybe a lot of not only coaches but like us as media as well thought that this thing could be fast tracked. Just in general, in college basketball, right. we just thought with this modern transfer portal that a team could be fast tracked if they got you know, a ton of talented players, and we're just seeing that you just don't have that level of continuity and cohesion. And and culture and identity, when you bring in guys for one or two years, you don't get those things. And those things really matter. And they're not necessarily palpable. You can't really, like, measure them fully. But at the same time, you just have to have that continuity, that culture, that identity built. And then you'll be successful at, at at a much better rate. Yeah, and it's hard to get five players on the floor at the same time in unison. And if those guys have only been playing together for a couple of months and are still unsure of each other and they don't have those deep bonds and relationships, then it's even more difficult than with a team that's full of, you know, juniors and seniors and redshirt sophomores that have been in a program 
for you know two, three, four years and know each other well. And, and I know that's harder to do. I know that's harder to do, but it you is. have to effort it to do that. Time. You have to effort right. take, and make that happen. It, it take it takes time to build that. Look at look at Hurley at UConn. Look what he did. Look how he's built that thing. It, it, they weren't great when he first got there. Memphis Memphis pretty much had their number for a minute when uh, UConn was still in the AAC when Hurley first got there. But look at him now. Right. He built it. He built it from the from the ground up and was able to develop guys and have guys come and buy in and even through the transfer portal era keep the the nucleus of his team around and stay and buy into a vision. And boom, they won a national championship last year, and they look like they're well on their way to doing it again. And it's just it's it's strange, man, because it's just it's cyclical how we talk about these things. Because I think in general the sentiment has been okay, a coach can't sit there and say I need time. Because you can, you have the transfer portal at your disposal. Um, you have guys that have already played games that can come in and go make things happen. But at the same time, the same formula that's been winning forever in college basketball, third and fourth year guys understanding the culture, understanding the identity, that's still what ultimately wins. That's still, still winning. what and, wins. And I'll even give a caveat to if it worked, to if you brought in a bunch of transfers and if it worked, if you made a deep tournament run, that versus developing guys over time, the, let's, I'm just going to call it the UConn model to to make it easier yeah. for this, whatever I'm about to say. If you use that, if you use the UConn model to build it, you have sustained success over you have over a long period of time. There's longevity in that. Over a rent a team, you might get a year, maybe two, and then you got to retool from top to bottom. Programs like UConn, they don't have to do that. They reload. Yes. All they're doing every year in recruiting is reloading that. And when those guys are you know, sophomores, redshirt sophomores, juniors, redshirt freshmen, they're ready to go. But if you're just getting juniors and seniors, using them for a year or two, and then trying to bring in a full crop of players the next cycle, there's no longevity in that. And I think that's the difference that we're seeing in these programs that you've named that have brought in X amount of transfers is it just doesn't have – well, right now it's not having short-term success. But even in the long run, if it did, it wouldn't be long-term success. But if you build a program – through the recruiting cycle and having juniors and seniors, then you're always going to be successful because you always have those new guys that are in the system that have been brought up in it ready that to have go got, as soon as that, their numbers that, that have been under the wing of the guys that are graduating that were phenomenal for your program for three to four years. Exactly. Right? That's just how it works. That's that's what sustained yep. success ultimately uh, that's what you have to do to have sustained success. Now, I want to I want to talk about some of these quotes from last night on the uh, Penny Hardaway radio show. I know I, you're probably if you if you weren't on with me, you'd be letting out a deep sigh. Um, but <laughs> let's let's start with this one. He said, "I knew when I got this job that I was going to be a target. I get a lot of negativity. We win ten games and lose one. It's going to be the worst loss in the world." Now, here's here's where I'm at on this and where I have been. I think nationally, he has gotten he has been a target. Um, since he got yes, the job, oh, sure. he's a he's a you know the AAU coach. This is his first you know job in college. Why he had he got to skip these these steps? I think there was a lot of coaches at the beginning of this whole thing who were very frustrated by that and outwardly frustrated by that. But I will say this: if you're talking locally, I don't think that's the case at all. Am I am I right I about those two either. sentiments? Yeah, yeah. And let let me tell you why. And I think this is like the disconnect between media and coaches and fans obviously we all have our own different perspectives and not every media member is the same but i know at least from my perspective and your perspective and most of the other people in this city that are in the media that i've talked to 
we were all excited because guess what Penny Hardaway being at the University of Memphis means for us? Eyeballs. Right. <laughs> so it's like why would we why would we put a target on Penny's back from day one when Penny being good and Penny being in the city of Memphis is good for all of us. Right. For every newspaper, every radio station, anyone that covers the University of Memphis, having Penny Hardaway was good for everybody because it put eyes back on the program in a time where nobody was going to games or pay atten- paying attention or reading or listening to podcasts. I mean, so I- I'm with you nationally. There's always been a- an air of negativity surrounding Penny. But locally, I feel like it's been pretty positive because we know what a successful basketball team and a successful basketball coach means and, for numbers. And, and, and here's at the, the end thing, of the day, Christian. I think there's been some holding of the tongue, too, in general. For the most part, like I, I understand that we talk about rotations and, and you get critical, but that's that's the job. That's what you have to do, right. and you have to, you right. know, if you're if you're getting paid two million dollars to coach, that's going to come with the with the uh, with the territory. I mean, I just look at like a guy like uh, John Calipari. You look at all these guys around the country when they lose ball games, people are critical of 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 the things they did. Every little mistake that they think was made to lose a game, every little misstep is going to be under a microscope. That's just how it works. Yeah. Yep. No, yeah. I completely agree with that. And then the second part of that, just, you know, winning 10, 10 games and losing one and then negativity starts from there. I don't think I, I don't really, I don't, I don't think people were very negative after that loss. I, I think it was really when they started to pile up and everyone kind of realized Wow, this team just went from a top ten, top four seed, you know, top ten team in the country, top four seed in the NCAA tournament to a fringe team in two weeks, and then it just went downhill from there. I mean, what was it? Six of nine games that Memphis has lost now. Yes, six and six of nine. Six, so six of nine games. That's where the criticism has come from. It didn't come from winning ten games in a row and then losing one. It came from the snowball effect after that, and what we've seen, and that all. I don't even know if culminated the right, is the right word because it's still going, but that maybe all came to a head after the Rice loss. And then it was like, oh, my gosh, like this has gone vastly awry. This has went even further south than we were thinking that it was going to go. So I think that's where the criticisms come from. It's not winning 10 games and losing one. It's just when the, the snowball effect happens and it keeps popping up, then it's like, okay, now we have to be critical. There is no yep. holding up the tongue. There is no choice here. Like we, we can't still try to – paint things in a rosy color like it's got to be okay this is panic button <laughs> this is bad and that, i think that's where the criticism came from and just i don't even know if it's criticism it just is looking and speaking on things that are happening objectively yeah now um final thing and this is the final quote that he put out there it was right after that that previous quote i just talked about and if i i mean the amount of times i got sent this my phone is actually physically heavier from the amount of times that this was this was sent to me <laughs> But he said, I put us in position to win every single night. I can't get out on the court and play as well. Yeah. How, how, do, how do you feel about that particular quote? Because that one did not make me feel rosy inside. That one did not make me feel in a – it was not a good headspace I was in when I, when, I, when I read that one. That felt very pointed. Felt like you're throwing your players directly under the bus. It felt like a lack of accountability. Like, how do you feel about it? Yeah, there's no way that fans can feel good after hearing that. Because we've heard him say multiple times throughout the year, you know, it's on me, it's my fault, and then to kind of come back and say, well, we finally found... Both sides of the mouth, kind of, speaking both sides right, of the mouth. Right, a, a, a little bit. And at the end of the day, 
even if you believe in your heart of hearts as a coach that you're doing everything right and you're putting your players in the in a position to succeed and it's not on you, it's on them. Proof as a coach, the you just don't Yeah, you just don't say that as a coach. Like you never throw the team as the head you always take responsibility. There are very very few times where you hear coaches say that it's on the players and not on them. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's that got to rub everybody the wrong way. Because as a coach, as a leader of a program, especially a collegiate team where you're 18 to 22, 23, 24-year-old kids, like you can't, you can't put it all on them. You have to take responsibility for it. Even, like I said, in your heart of hearts, if you believe like you're preparing perfectly, you're doing everything right, you're putting them in a position to succeed offensive and defensively, you've got a, the best game plan ever for every team you play against, and they're not executing, and that's why you're losing, you still don't say that. You yeah. ne- That's like the golden rule of coaching is you never put it on the players. You always take responsibility. Look at on the football side, Ryan Silverfield, never heard him do that. Mm-hmm. Ryan always takes it on himself. And that that's just a obviously close to home example and you can be you know critical of Ryan in the, in a sense if you want to from an on the field perspective and you know your feelings on the team but he's never thrown the team under the bus he's always you know that's on me it's on me and the coaching staff and Penny for the most part has but you just you got to keep that you can't you can't eventually just break down and say you know what look it's on them it's not on me i'm just, i'm doing everything right i'm putting them in a position to succeed they're just not doing it yeah, and personally, um, I'm just going to go ahead and put it out there. Based on that North Texas game we watched earlier last week, I don't think it's the truth. I, yeah. I, that's that's as easy as I'm going to put it. But we'll leave it right there. Christian, I appreciate it, man. We'll do it again next week. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, oh, oh. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, oh, oh.